Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is July the 16th, 2020. Uh, this is episode 2691 of the Survival Podcast. It is a Thursday. And we're returning to something we haven't done in a long time, listener calls. Listener calls. Uh, some of these calls are very old, some of them are very new, and there's been a lack of calls lately because, well, when you stop doing listener call shows, people stop calling in. With everything that went crazy about March with COVID, I started dedicating an awful lot more time to helping you guys get through the initial lockdowns and the fear and stuff like that, and I just, I just stopped doing this. And then some other specials came in and some other interview work-ins came in. And also, we didn't do a, a, a show with calls for almost three months. Uh, and I took a vacation uh, for three weeks in there. So this is the return of the Listener Calls show. And I want to keep doing them. So I, I have some backlog. I can probably do another one next week easy enough with the backlog. But I could use some fresh calls. Some of the stuff was so time-sensitive as I was going through Like, I, I, I really can't do that now. So... Um, Call in, but don't call the think line. I have right now, and I might, I'm going to check into this. I might reactivate it. I had a, this is another thing that kind of put the damper on the calls, and I, I didn't really talk about it on the air because I didn't want to incentivize the person doing it. And, and by now, they're, they've probably gone off to bother somebody else. I've had a techno, uh, t like kind of like a techno terrorist, I guess you'd call it, uh, attacking the think line uh, with uh, something that's almost impossible for me to shut down. Uh, there's no real way for me to shut it down. And, and I won't go into it, but it's just filling up my inbox. And every time somebody makes a call, it costs me, a you know, not a buck, but it, it costs me some money. And it just wasn't worth the hassle, especially it kind of coincided with the, the ramp up in COVID. So I just basically deactivated the number and his machine can get a... Uh, when they call in. So if you tried the, the think line, I haven't been public about it because I don't want to encourage this behavior. Um, that's why it's deactivated. Actually, I still own it. I can still turn it back on anytime I want. But what I, I want to do is I want to try an experiment as we bring this back. I want to use the speak pipe. We have what's called a speak pipe. And if you have um, a cell phone that you would make a call from, you can use the speak pipe. You don't need high-speed Internet. It's pretty uh, low-bandwidth requirement. All you have to do is go to the survivalpodcast.com. And then all you have to do is click on the speak pipe, or click, click on contact, and then click the speak pipe button. And you can leave me a message, it'll come to me an email. And, and anybody that could make a cell phone call can just as easily use the speak pipe. And uh, I pay a flat fee on that, so it's just easier, and it's 100% effective. I don't ever lose your call if you use it. So try the speak pipe if you want to call in for a show like this. What are we going to talk about today? Here's what I got for you. A documentary on the deep state. They may have some limited use for some people. And I'm going to talk about, like, babies that wake up. Like, I don't mean baby children, like, Wah! but, like, when someone has been living in the world as it is supposed to be, and they finally wake up and say, I see the Fenords for the first time. And they really only see some of the Fenords. And they all of a sudden want to tell you about a 9-11 conspiracy or Alex Jones this or George Soros or anything like that. And it's not that you don't agree with some of what they're saying anyway. It's, I've already been where you are. We're going to talk about that and how to actually be kind of nice to those people and why you should be. Because uh, I'm going to tell you some of the people I know that are the, the most prominent people and deep thinkers in 
the liberty movement today started out that way. It's natural. It's like being reborn. And you can get some Messiah complex and some other things. We'll talk about that in addition to this documentary. And I'll give you a link to it so you can check it out if you want to. Um, next, I got a, a question on gardening. God wants to get started gardening. He says, tell me some ticks and tri tricks and tips to get started gardening. Well, we've done so much on gardening. But I'm going to tell you why tricks and tips are not really even the mindset you should be in if you want to become a new gardener. And I'm going to tell you the, the simple way to get started gardening. It's, it's so dramatically simple, you might think it's too simple. But I'll tell you why it is the way to go. Then I got a question on permaculture on steep slopes, like 65%. And this is going to be a big it depends. Because it might make sense to more likely not do anything at all. Um, a simple Google Maps hack that can improve your life. A listener talks about having built that better life. Question on getting started with canning. And a message from California and thoughts on walking to freedom that stem from that message out of California. Before we get into that, let's start off with the COVID Minute. This will be the COVID 30 seconds today. I do want to continue to let you guys know some of the mis misinformation you're being given, the overreaction, the excessive hysteria, etc. to do with COVID. The latest uh, information you have that kind of disrupts the narrative of, we'll do lockdowns, we'll do masks, we'll do social distancing, we'll prevent COVID. A whole bunch of sailors went to sea on a ship. Not a bad Navy joke here. Um, they, uh, they, they went up as a commercial ship, and the commercial shipping company, wanting to be responsible, tested all the sailors on the ship, the whole crew. No COVID. They go off to sea. They're floating in a ship in the middle of the ocean, completely isolated from the rest of the world, as isolated as you can possibly be. When they came into port, tested them again, significant portion of them, Had the Rona. Yep, they got COVID at sea by themselves with no infected personnel on the ship. Viruses are all around us. And when it's your turn to deal with the Rona, you'll deal with the Rona. It will take your area, your region in specific area, about an eight-week cycle to cycle through it. Just like a German scientist at the very beginning of us told us it would. He was right. Once again, this proves it. I'll put a link to that story if you want to read it. And I did a hell of a rant on Facebook today, but if you're offended by facts and vul vulgar words, don't watch it. <laughs> don't do not do it, especially if the F word offends you. Anyway, uh, moving on from the COVID minute, let's talk about our quote of the day. This one comes from Bob Marley, and I want you to think about it through the whole show, because it's really going to tie into our song of the day, which once again is not planned. It's not planned. I looked for something about living life in general today. Just because that was on my mind. I wanted to talk to you about you know, making the most of your dash. And boy, when you hear the song we have for today, you're going to be like, wow, that, that's, that's good programming. No, it's, uh, it's just the synchronicity that seems to come from John Adams' pick and, and what I end up doing. Because I don't look at the song until I have the rest of the show put together. I, I'm serious about that. Anyway, today's quote is from somebody else who makes music, or made music, Bob Marley. Bob Marley said famously, Open your eyes, look within, are you satisfied with the life you're living? And my message for you on this, before I heard today's song at the end of the show, what it was going to be, and I have a different message for you then, still kind of ties together a little bit, but so many people bitch and whine, and I'm sorry, you bitch and whine about how, well, this prevents me from doing what I want, or this prevents me from living my dreams, and the state this, and the man that, uh, 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 restrictions, and blah, 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 blah. And I, I've always said, one of my laws of life, in fact, is, be the pig, not the cow. A lot of people are very perplexed by that if they don't know much about cows or pigs. 
But Texas and many other states, especially in the southern United States, have these things called feral pigs. These pigs that, you know, they're like pink and spotted pigs that are raised by farmers and they escape. And in a generation or two, they're all black again. Maybe they have a little spot here and there, but basically they look like wild pigs and they act like wild pigs. And we call them feral pigs because humans want to control things. But if we're honest, they're freaking wild pigs. We call them feral pigs to differentiate them from like a pure pure blood Russian wild boar, right? We it's to acknowledge that they at one time go back to domestic livestock, but they run around all over the place, cause all kinds of problems, kill baby deers, and they taste delicious. And I don't actually think they're a problem, but there sure is a shitload of them. There's an estimated four to six million of them in the state of Texas alone. So we go out and we hunt those pigs and we have little wild pig ribs and chops and stuff. And they're like I said, they're delicious. You know what? I kind of wish there were some feral cows out there because I'd go fill my damn freezer with beef. I mean, imagine being able to go out and shoot any time of year an animal is bigger, bigger than a bull elk and bring home the beef instead of the bacon. Anybody know where you can do that? Anybody? I know there's some buffalo and some stuff like that in some places, but like feral cows, like, you know, Joe Saladin has his pigs and his cows, and maybe one of his pigs escapes into the wilds of Virginia and starts breeding. He got wild pigs. Does, does, does the cows ever do that? No, the cows got away in my neighborhood right when we first moved in here from a neighbor down the road about seven years ago, and the cows all walked down the, 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 the road, and then they hung out in my field, and I had to call the sheriff, and the sheriff came with two sheriff cars and an, another officer on a horse, and they, they took the cows back down the road to the neighbor's place. By then, they'd been notified, he came and helped bring them back. And they just walked back. You try that shit with some pigs and see what happens. Pig gets out, pig is gone. What does that have to do with, are you satisfied with the life that you're living? Well, if you're being a cow, which is very much domesticated and doesn't tend to go feral, you are exactly the domesticated human being that your government wishes for you to be. You're a freaking cow. And just like a cow, they milk you for tax dollars. And it's worse than that. They literally bleed you. You're a Matsai cow. The Matsai warriors... Matsai tribesmen in Africa, they value the cows that they keep in their herd so much. It's their store of wealth. They very seldom kill a cow. What they do is they, they, they have a diet largely based on milk and blood. And they put a little hole in their cow and they bleed a certain amount of cow. They don't hurt the cow too bad. They don't want to take too much blood at once. And they mix the blood and the milk together and they drink it. That's your government. Your government is a milking vampire. And you need cattle to do that with. You notice that the Matsai do not, you know, tend and move pigs through the southern African continent. Again, try that shit and see how well it works. The pig's like, screw this. The pig's like, I'm not doing this shit your way. And if you give the pig an inch of space to get under a fence, it will belly under there and it will be gone. And it will become what it truly always was, a true pig. You can either be like the pig, or you can be like the cow. I think the cow explains itself. What it has to do with being satisfied with the life you're living is, so many of you sit around and you bitch. This is not just this audience, this is America as a whole. Sit around and bitch about all the things they wish they could do, and they'll even bring up some legitimate reasons that they can't do those things. If you ain't done every single thing you can do to be closer to where you want to be, the only person you have to blame up till that point is your damn self, the guy in the mirror looking back at you. 
Open up your eyes, look within. Are you satisfied with the life you're living? And if not, change something. Do something different. Do anything different. I implore you, your life is too damn valuable. Your dash is too damn valuable to waste it being a cow. Be a fully feral human, not a domesticated little bitch that the government harvests, which is so much what we are. And if you want a tax base, brothers and sisters, that's what you want. You want a bunch of domesticated humans that act like cows. It's time to bring out the pig. Anyway, with that, let's talk about the state, in this case the deep state. i got a call for you here, and I'll come back with some thoughts on it, and I'll tell you the utility that this this documentary may or may not have, depending on where you are in your walk. And we'll talk a little bit about, like, baby liberty movement people, like baby activists, the new ones that just got born into the world, and, and what we can learn about that. Hey, Jack. Um, this is Zach Leary. Um, my question for you is about Jane Osbard. I don't know if heard of her or if you've seen her three-hour documentary on the deep state, but I was curious about your take on it. I know you don't like to put politics in the show and whatnot, um, but you're the fucking man, you know, and I, I just, I want to know what you, what you thought about it, if you've seen it. And I know you're busy, but if you can find three hours to watch a damn thing, <laughs> please do it because it's got my mind blown. I'm going to start out with I feel a little bit bad because this is one of them old calls. It's like two and a half, three months ago this call came in. This guy, I had to cut it off because I didn't want to give away his personal information. He left me his phone number, his email, multiple ways. Like he's just, Basically, he ended the call with, look, man, I... Even if you don't want to do this on the air, I really want to know what you think about this. So I, I pulled it up, and in the beginning, it starts off with things that I, you know, I almost just gave up. And, and by the way, he he didn't get the name Jane or whatever. He got the name of this chick wrong. But I was eventually able to figure out what he was saying, and and then combine that with what really is the the woman is. She sounds English, but she presents in some ways. It makes me think maybe she's actually Dutch. But her uh, her name is Janet Janet uh, Osband or Osbard, and it's O S S E B A A R D. Janet Osbard or Osbard, um, and uh, the the documentary is called "Covering the Cabal, the Deep State, and QAnon," and it's a full documentary. It's over three hours, and it's on BitChute because I'm sure I'm sure. YouTube bandit. I'm sure. I, I I will bet some damn money on this. And um, here's my thing. Well, I, my, my, first, my clearinghouse statement on QAnon. I think if you believe that QAnon is truly, genuinely, a, you know, an insider or a group of insiders inside the deep state trying to help you uh, to bring down the deep state from within, that you have been misled by 4chan trolls. And to, uh, uh, I, I just, I, 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 I just can't. I can't go there anymore, but I can put that on the shelf and not worry about it, right? And I will say that there's a lot of people that really believe in QAnon, and a lot of them really do a lot of research, and they bring a lot of things to the table, and it doesn't matter that the thing that unifies them is is, is in many ways nonsensical. Uh, this breadcrumb thing that... I, I'm just I'm going to stop. I don't want... I'm just going to say 
if you can separate that, if you like Q, then you don't have to worry about it. And if you think it's stupid, then you don't have to. Then you can just kind of separate that. But this documentary has some limited utility. It started out with things like you know Hillary Clinton getting away with the email scandal, Barack Obama getting the Nobel Peace Prize, and then proceeding to drop a bomb on somebody every 20 minutes for his entire presidency. Um, things like that. And it's like, I've seen this before. And then how Trump became president in the middle of all that. And it shows some pretty unflattering pictures of Trump. Later comes back and is very pro-Trump in a lot of ways. And I've only watched maybe 35 minutes. but all I had time for. Um, now, one piece of it goes deep into George Soros, which, again, if you've been doing this a while, yes, I know. Don't. But George Soros, yes, yes, I know. But, but it really, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I, I, I know. Like, that's such a small piece of the whole thing that I'm not going to go down that well with you. Just settle. Um, but the funding and how the, the caravan, remember the, the caravan that had a big influence on the midterm elections and gave the Democrats back control of the House in a lot of ways, I believe, uh, though historically that probably would have happened anyway. It maybe made it a little bit more overwhelming. Uh, it did influence a lot of opinions and decisions because people are stupid. It's not, This thing did the best job of tearing that thing apart for the, the, the pantomime bullshit that it was I've ever seen. Uh, right down to the fact that some of these uh, supposed poor people who were wearing brand new clothes and completely clean and nice like they just had a fresh shower after supposedly trekking thousands of miles in the dirt in flip-flops, many of them were wearing color-coded bracelets that were used by the media to set up shots and some other things. And it, it did a really good job of, of destroying that narrative. So there's probably other things like that in it. But this is my thing when it comes to, like, the deep state. When you start trying to provide me evidence that the deep state exists, I, I don't need to hear it. You're, you're, it's like you're bringing, and I don't mean to insult anybody, because I'm going to get to defending the other side of this in just a second. So please bear with me if this stuff's important to you and, and you're new to this. But it's sort of like you've got somebody who's working on calculus and you want to explain to them how to, a really cool way to memorize their, their 1 through 12 times tables. I've, just, I've been there. It has utility. I'm busy with this calculus equation right now. I don't, sorry. Like, just, let's not, I'm not going to go down with you and talk to you about this one multiplication in the middle of this thing. I'm busy. You, 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 you kind of feel that way. Um, but I think that, like, even I was like, wow, on the, on the caravan stuff. So I'll probably plod through the rest of it a little here and a little there. So I think there's some utility in it. Now, I want to talk about the newborn, born-again baby into the liberty movement and into the world that really is and the deep state here. So the deep state, to me, the only thing you need to tell somebody, and if they don't understand this, you're, you're not going to get through them anyway, to, to convince them there is a deep state, is a very well-known mainstream phrase that goes back forever, but we've heard a, a lot of, even in school, since the nuclear age and the potential for nuclear war. And that phrase is continuity of government. The fact that there is a continuity of government plan, if you have any logical capability in your mind, infers there must be what is known as a deep state. People that actually can do things and call shots behind the scenes that you don't ever get to see or hear about or elect or vote out of office, etc. You want me to prove the deep state exists. Anthony Fauci has had basically the same job since the Reagan administration. 
and he's had a lot of power since early in the Carter administration. A lot of you listening to this weren't even alive when Jimmy Carter was president. Okay? This man has had the ability to move around billions of dollars, unchecked, since Jimmy Carter was president, and at the level he's doing it now since Ronald Reagan was. If I have to explain to you that that means there's a deep state in the bureaucracy, then I can't help you. And no video like this will probably change that for you, unless you're somewhere ready to like open up to the fact that a lot of the things that you believe are not true. Until you're somewhere ready, this won't help. If you are, these are the kind of things that kind of move you in the right direction, get you started, and this is what happens. That person goes from, gee, everything's swelled, I'm not so sure about this, to, oh my God, i got to tell everybody. And we'll go back to the analogy with like that person coming into a group that's already been there 10 years ago. Now imagine you have like a group of 15-year-olds working on a project, right? And they've been working on this project together for a year. And these are really squared away 15-year-olds. I mean, these are, the, these are homeschool 15-year-olds. They're working on this scientific project to make a hovercraft. And they're clo they actually have a working prototype. And a 9-year-old goes on Google, never even knew that there was a hovercraft. Google's ways to move without wheels, and eventually finds hovercraft and finds a picture of a hovercraft. And these really expensive things, and some of them work and some of them don't, and this way you can make one yourself with a leaf blower and a tarp and a piece of plywood, and it's a, it's a project kids do in high school, and, and holy shit, there's such a thing as a hovercraft. And you got your 15-year-olds, and they're building like kind of this, like something that adults would be like, holy shit, y'all should patent that, right? And they're, they're working away on it. And a nine-year-old runs, runs in and goes, hey, guys, there's a hovercraft. Do you know what a hovercraft is? we got to make a hovercraft. We need a piece of plywood, and we need a tarp, and we need a leaf blower. And, 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 and these 15-year-olds these are like, uh, yeah, that's cool, kid. Why don't you go do that? No, no, we got to do it. we got to do it. Look, no, we, we, we did that when we were 10. You're a little ahead of us, actually. So go find some other nine-year-olds and go build your hovercraft. Now, that's not shitting on the nine-year-old, which a lot of people take it that way when you explain it like this. Like, you know, oh, you say that you're... No, I'm just saying... We did this already. We had our wake up. And we've progressed, we've realized that all the activism that gins up around, we're going to fight this. And this was just in our latest, our first episode of Unloose the Goose. We talked about this mega cycle trend, the ending of an age and the beginning of a new one. And all this turmoil having happened so many times in history. And at this point, you got to get a surfboard and get on it and ride that wave and figure out how to, how to deal with it instead of thinking you're going to resist it or fight it or pick a side. And I implore so many of you still to please get the book, The Illuminatus, like Illuminati, The Illuminatus Trilogy, which is a complete work of fiction that has so much truth in it, and you'll understand that if you take a, po a position in any of these groups, no matter how much they're made to look like outside of the system groups, in the end, you're being used by the George Soroses of the world that you think you're fighting. And if you read that book and you really understand what it's trying to say, and if you can get through without feeling like you dropped a bunch of acid, you'll recognize that pattern and you will you will abstain from it. So does that mean that the person that has this experience, that watches a documentary like this, that gets on fire with it, that's screaming and yelling and picking a side and part of it, does that mean that there's anything wrong with that? No, because it's usually 
for everybody to agree, including myself, mine wasn't so much the conspiracy theories. It was Ron Paul. Ron Paul, Ron Paul, Ron Paul, Ron Paul, Ron Paul. You got to hear about Ron Paul. You got to hear, you know, and like, I remember like people that were more in the, the anarcho agorist bent when I was Ron Paul this, Ron Paul that. This is before I even did the show. I remember the looks I got. I was the nine year old trying to make a hovercraft out of a, a piece of plywood in a, in a tarp and a leaf blower. And these guys were zooming down the road. It wasn't that I was wrong. They were just, we did that already. But look what, I, look what I do now. And if I didn't have that moment, would I even be here? If I didn't have a seminal moment like that, would I even be here? Um, I think there's a lot of truth in the fact that you didn't get the full story about 9-11. But I also think, you know, most of the conspiracy things just are not, you know, it was a controlled demolition or whatever. I don't believe that. I know a lot of you are triggered now because you do. That's fine. My point is I don't. But one of my best friends, one of the members of the Goose Group, right, John Bush, it was a 9-11 documentary that woke him up. And he went to be a radical activist, got himself arrested a couple times in protest, and, like, going to make it. And now it's all action. And so many people that I know that are rock stars in this world of getting shit done in the name of liberty, without picking a side and getting into a fight where you cannot win. If you get into a shit-throwing contest, no matter which side you pick, you're going to get covered in shit, as blatantly as I can make it. So many of those people, they picked a side in the shit-throwing contest, they started flinging shit, they got shit flicked on them long enough that they went, wait a minute, this sucks. And they evolved. So if this is what wakes you up, good. Because I believe that once you start down this path, there will come a point where you'll realize all I'm doing is, is actually helping what I think I'm fighting. And you'll start turning toward that circle of control. You'll start out in circle of concern. You'll move into influence. You'll try to expand your influence by forcing it on people that aren't ready yet. That will suck, so you'll contract back into your circle of influence. And pretty soon one day you'll wake up and go, 99% of my effort from now on must go into the things that I can actually control. And then you'll start saying to yourself, well, this thing that prevents me from doing what I say I want to do, how, how can I fix that? Instead of, gee, I wish that wasn't there. Instead of saying, how can I change that? Meaning I want somebody else to change it for me. How can I fix that for me? I don't care if I fix it for everybody. How do I fix it for me? Once I fix it for me, I can say, this is how I fixed it for me. And if you don't want to do it that way, you figure out another way. But I can't fix it for you. So I love this. As far as a deep state... Yeah, there's a deep state. Every state is a deep state. There's no such thing as a state without a deep state. And the more you build a bureaucracy, the deeper the deep state goes. There are 535 congressmen, a relatively small body known as the cabinet. There's the president of the United States, and there's the judicial system. The number of bureaucrats outweigh those positions that either are appointed or elected by about a thousand to one. If I need to explain to you how that results in a deep state, there's no point in me explaining it to you because you're not ready to understand it yet. It's not that you can't, it's that you don't want to. Let's take another one. Hi, Jack. Um, my name is Brad. And question for you um, is that I'm new to gardening. Um, I've thought about it for a while and just 
kind of don't know where to start. I guess I just kind of need that push. Um, so any type of tricks or tips that you may have for me, I've thought about doing possibly a raised type of garden. I don't have a very big yard, so I can't really till up a whole bunch of it, but I thought about making a box and doing some type of a raised garden. Um, so any tips or tricks that you could give me would be much appreciated. Thank you. So my honest answer to that, if you just, because I, I do understand that you want to get started, is just think about like the basic methods of gardening and then whatever you decide you want to give a try. You talked about doing raised beds and I think it's a great place to start. I think it's the best place for the most people. May not be the best way to garden for everybody, but it's the best place for the most people. If you live in some places, the best thing to do is dig a garden bed and plant shit. Like, don't even worry about size. Don't worry. Just cut the sod away. Dig down deep enough to bury the sod upside down so that it doesn't grow back. Maintain some weed control and plant a garden, which is how I gardened for years as a kid with my grandfather. It was no, my grandfather would have beat my ass if I tried to build a raised bed. And, and to be, be blunt and honest with you, the scale of his garden, it would have been impractical. It would have been, it would have been economically not feasible for the size because we grew about a quarter acre. Quarter acre of raised beds built with wood or rocks or brick. It just, pfft. I guess I could have done it with the surrounding mountain rock, but it was really not necessary. It, it really wasn't necessary. And that's going to lead me to my real advice for you in just a second. So if you want to do raised beds, then go to the survivalpodcast.com and put in raised bed garden. You'll find shows where I talk about how to do soil mixtures and everything, and you'll find as much information about gardening as you could want. Um, search for garden or gardening. Find an episode that's tagged. If you look at the bottom of every episode, you'll see that ta there's tags. And click on, the, click on one that says gardening or permaculture and start just browsing episodes until you find something that's what you're looking for. And there's more information for free on my website about different gardening techniques and method, everything from raised beds to in-ground to hula culture, to you name it, to aquaponics and hydroponics, than, than you could ever get out of any book. All right, Sometimes too much information isn't great, but any place will give you a start. Now, this is, though... Everybody wants to get a book. Everybody wants to get a resource. Everybody, look, this is something that mankind has been doing prior to the existence of written language. It is one of the most innately human things that you can do. And the best thing that you can do is either dig an in-ground bed or build a raised bed. One or the other. And I don't think you need a lot of instruction to make a box, put it somewhere, and fill it with some sort of viable soil. I will give you one big piece of advice there. If you're not going to cut the sod away, wherever you sit that box, you're going to fill up, put down at least two, if not three layers of cardboard underneath it to kill the grass beneath it. Put your box on top of it, fill it, mulch it, and plant. Now, the reason I say that, that and either use landscape timbers or pressure-treated lumber, and don't worry about as far as, but the preservatives, don't worry about it. I'm not even going to go into why. I'm just going to tell you, if you are worried about that, you better stop breathing the air. Right? You better stop breathing the air. You better never drink a drop of tap water in your life, probably nor most bottled water. Right? Because you're going to get more toxins from breathing the air and drinking water than you are toxins out of a pressure-treated piece of lumber with the current type of way that we treat lumber. Just don't worry about it. The reason to just do it, 
to obey the words of the great knight. Just do it. Most problems that you'll run into as a gardener are regional and situational to you. So if you are in Texas, you probably will have somewhat of a hard time with blight with tomatoes. You won't know this, though, unless you already did, because I told you, until you plant tomatoes and experience blight. And then you'll have your tomatoes growing. They'll look really good. They'll start to produce fruit. Ah, yeah, they have tomatoes. And all of a sudden, these bottom uh, bottom limbs will start to kind of like rot away. And you know, about this time of year, your great tomato production will begin to wane. And then all of a sudden, it's too hot for tomatoes anyway. And your tomato plants will not survive into fall. So that they can give you a second flush. And you'll figure out that you either need to grow something other than tomatoes in that time, limit how many tomatoes you grow, whatever. You'll figure, figure it out. If you live in West Virginia, your soil is mostly clay. As long as you dig it up and prepare it well and you plant a tomato, you can probably literally take a tomato, like the whole tomato, smush it in your hand and bury it, and just pick one of the many plants that come up out of the ground, and you will be able to grow tomatoes, and they will do fabulous until the first frost. You won't know that until you try. Some areas you'll plant cucumbers. There's a lot of cucumber beetle. You'll deal with cucumber fires. Some places you plant cucumbers, you will literally, like, you, you go out and you're afraid the cucumber plant is going to eat you. Some places you'll plant squash, and the squash vine borers will come and kill them before they produce for you. And you'll need to use a really dense um, stem like a butternut, right? And you're like, Jack, see, you know all this. Why can't you? Okay, because you may also, like where I grew up in Pennsylvania, what I said about a tomato in West Virginia, you could take a zucchini, the whole zucchini plant, uh, fruit, the squash itself, throw it in the ground, and, and, and you'll have enough zucchini that you'll be putting it in people's cars if they leave their windows down in the summer. But if you do it here in Texas, you're going to have squash bugs and vine borers. And so you're going to have to figure out ways to trick them or whatever, but you won't know that until you start. So in the words of Ron Finley, a famous gorilla gardener from South Los Angeles, plant some shit. That's my tip. That's my biggest tip and trick for a new gardener: make a space, plant some shit, and then accept. And it's a permaculture principle now: accept the feedback and correct based on the feedback you get. And I know people want like this much more involved answer. This is something that humans have been doing since the beginning of time. And no matter where you live, you'll find some things that, if you start gardening, will do well for you and grow mostly that. And you'll find seasons when things do well and grow those things in those seasons. And then as you have problems, research the specific problem. If you have a disease problem with green beans, find beans that are resistant to those diseases. Which disease? I don't know. There's about 50 of them. You might find that like if you live in, in, in central Texas where I do, that once the temperature is consistently above 100 degrees, you can get the most desist, resistant green bean variety you want, and it's going to get like rust and other bean diseases, and it's going to die. And even if it lives, it's just not going to produce anyway. So you plant your beans as early as you can. You harvest as many as you can. And then when you're just heading to the edge of summer, you plant them again. And that's your trick there. But if you're in New Jersey, you just plant your beans and pick them all season. You won't know until you do. So that's that's my big tip, tip and trick. Plant some shit, give it a shot, and adjust and take the feedback. Hi, Jack. This is a question regarding permaculture. How do you make use of a very sloped property of 65 to 70 degrees? And plant, what plants would work best for that type of environment? 
uh, that would be productive. Okay, so this is a big it depends. If the slope that you're talking about currently is treed, the best thing you can do is zone five wild permaculture. So encourage certain things. Uh, possibly you would find you know, trees that are on their last legs and maybe you're taking firewood for that and doing some inoculation with shiitake mushrooms would be one example or something like that. But it, it basically, if this is especially mature forested land, then the best thing to do is leave it as a wilderness and utilize it. If you cut trees off a 65-degree slope, Mother Nature will punish you for your sins. I'm sorry, it's true. If you live there and you want some little tiny piece of this to open like a glade and to do zone one type permaculture, little gardens and stuff like that, then you kind of open up that area and you stabilize it with terraces. You'd be very selective if you have any choice about your home site. Because this needs to be all around the home, and you don't want to do something that's going to create a landslide that will bring you down, maybe all the way to the bottom, which at that kind of slope is definitely possible. If this land right now is sparse as far as trees, the system you want to install is at the most what you would call a Zone 4 permaculture forest system. So this isn't your zone 2 or zone 3 food forest that's heavily managed. This is the place that you go in and you plant trees out the ass. You just kind of create a designer forest and you design a forest that will success quickly with lots of pioneer trees that are going to die. But in the end, when it's done, it will look like a forest. It will not look like your conventional system unless you are going to be, if you want to do something that's more like a zone three food forest where you have spaced trees and grazing lanes and stuff like that on this level of slope you really 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 need to know what you're doing and you're going to have to work a lot to establish it into stability and you're probably looking at something that involves very small swales footpath size swales that create exactly that, some contour and some footpath where you maintaining and harvesting can walk across. But you got to be really careful because even small swales then can create a lot of buildup during rain events. So and now you're, you're, so you're going to have to have a lot of discharge points instead of having a single discharge point. If you have some, you know, people say 65-degree slope, and a lot of times like, like there's a piece of 65-degree slope, and there's places where it's moderate and whatever. You might find places you can put pocket ponds and stuff like that. Like, that's cool. But you got to be really careful. And I, any level of earthworks, you get into something even approaching this. Somebody with, like, a, a professional engineer's knowledge needs to be doing some math before you do it. So you can do shit like Sepp Holzer did at the Kramaterhof in the Austrian Alps. You can do that, but it is not something to just start poking around with. And the best thing to do, and what Jeff Lawton would tell you to do with it, is, is tree it. One way or another, trees. Trees and bushes and shrubs. And then I would definitely say to you, if you're creating pathways through it, 
then you want to do that with swale-like paths. You want to stay as much on contour as possible and then think really hard about how you traverse your, your, your altitude. A lot of people do like switchback trails, and the problem with that is they become very eroded during rain events, and they require a lot of engineering if you do something like that on a, on a broad scale with culverting and diversion and stuff like that, and you still have problems. Where you can often almost make all your paths perfectly level, and you can use something like almost like a rock staircase type situation to traverse your altitude. Um, it's something you got to be creative with, but the, the, the easy answer is trees. Uh, let's take, and then again, if you have like a home site kind of nestled into this, then I can see something approaching a quarter acre of open glade, and then it's going to be a lot of terracing, and it's probably best to build those terraces with stone. Uh, you could do it with logs and things like that, but eventually those rot out. Uh, so the effort that this takes using something like if there's native stone that could be used or what have you, and building terraces. And then you can actually kind of build, you don't have to do a lot of cutting then. You can do a, a minor amount of cutting for your terrace and leveling and then build your front structure of your terrace and transverse it back. With a 65-degree slope, you have a lot that you can work with that way. Let's take another one. Hi, Jack. This is Casey in Connecticut. In last Friday's episode, you said to keep a notebook in your car to keep track of when stores are busy and not busy. Uh, Google Maps actually has this feature built into it. So if you type the name of a business into Google Maps and you scroll down a little bit, it'll show you a graph of how busy the uh, store is on average throughout a day. You can switch the days around, but it also gives you a live view of how busy the store currently is. Uh, I've used this for grocery stores, the DMV, uh, and whatever else. And it's always been pretty accurate for me. Uh, it just makes planning your trips out a little bit easier if you can see live how busy a store is. Thank you. Love the show. You know, I probably should have found that. Um, just when I use the app, obviously it gives you traffic data that's like that. Now, the big brother side of this is the only way, the only way they know that is by people who have the app or another app that feeds them information backdoor is to their physical location of people walking around with phones, and then they probably can surmise a pretty good estimate of people that either don't allow tracking uh, by turning their phones off or what have you, uh, or don't use those apps, uh, or are using Android or something like that, or, or uh, using a different technology or whatever, right? So that they're not using their apps. Like you could probably get a pretty good estimate by the number of people that you have visibility into, how many you don't have visibility into, and, and get a pretty good idea of how many people are at these stores and stuff like that. Otherwise, I'm going to start using this. I mean, I think it I think it makes a lot of sense. And this is one of those older calls, too. So this was during kind of the, the, the heat, the peak of the COVID panic, and people were having trouble with going to stores and stuff like that. And I suggested, like, when you're out and about, notice when. Um, and... One thing about that, that this seems like the live shot would help you, but the historical data may not be as accurate, is when these crazy things go on, people switch their patterns. And so I think that combining the technology and the old school OPSEC, right, and information gathering makes a lot of sense. But thanks for the tip, man. Let's take another one. Jack, Brian from Delaware. Details. Just wanted to say hello. 
It's probably been two years since I've called the show. I'm an MSB member. Don't listen to the show near as much as I used to. Probably heard 1,500 shows, but in the last year or so, I just haven't dialed in as much. But I picked up one of your Rewind shows this week. I believe it was step three of your Liberty or Building a Better Life series. And I just want to thank you. I've done the work. I've worked diligently over the last six or seven years. I've listened to you. But you, by far, were the inspiration. You gave me the instruction. And I have built an incredible life. So I just want to say hey and thank you. My debt is down. My credit score is up. There's cash under the mattress. My freezer is full. The garden is booming. The chickens are happy. My wife and I are pushing 25 years of marriage. We put a pool in this year. Things are just great, despite all the craziness that's going on in the world. So I just wanted to say, hey, I saw a few pictures on Facebook of your vacation. Certainly deserved. Be well, my friend. You know, calls and emails like these are the biggest paycheck I get from what I do. They really are. The, the, hey, Jack, I started a business, and here's what we're doing, and you know we're full-time with it now. or we're, We've gotten to one, one of us working instead of two, and so now we can homeschool our kids and stuff like that. I mean, like, this is the payday for me, is hearing that feedback and realizing something that I want to kind of point out to you guys. Every single person that ta- takes this journey, that gets to this point, or anywhere along the way after it or even leading up to it, it almost inevitably starts with one thing, whatever it is, and it might be a very small thing in the end. It might be a very small step in the end. Like it was it was the seminal step. It was the one that started the journey, but when you look at where you came to, it, it doesn't look like to the outside observer that it mattered very much. But what happens is along your way, along your journey, along the point where you decide I want to do something differently, you hear or you discover one thing, and you say these magic, magic, magic effing words in your head. I can do that. It's that simple. People always, when you when you get to a point like we're at now with TSP, and you've done so much for so long, and you, you become credible in what you're saying, like we are here, people always want the thing you give them to be... You know, like you've climbed the Himalayas or something, and there's this guru at the top going, Oh, my son, the secret to life is. And in those stories, even then, is not the secret to life so simple that you didn't need to climb the mountain to hear it? Maybe you needed to climb the mountain to be ready to hear it, but you didn't. It's really simple. And that's the journey that leads you to building the life that you want. And it's resilient in the face of tough times and explosively successful in good times. Is having that one point, that one time, or something that takes you past what everybody else just does and lets happen to them. And you say, I can do that. I say, plant a garden. And you're like, ah, well, just if you don't want to plant a big garden yet, just... Do a little inside uh, hydroponics or do an herb garden and uh, take your front you know, area that's in your HOA and fill it with herbs. And the person says, I can do that. And then they hear another show, maybe mine, maybe something else. Maybe they just read something and says, oh, this, this, this lantana that I put there too that I thought was 
just an ornamental. I didn't even think it was because it's not an herb. It's just a plant. It's pretty. I saw it at the Home Depot and I thought it was pretty. So I put a, that's that's something that's medicinal. It's a it's a dermal regenerator like that comfrey stuff that Jack was talking about. Uh, I, I can make this ointment and see if it works. I can do that. I'm going to get some beeswax and some olive oil and warm it up and make this salve and put it on this little scratch and it worked. I did it. I can do that and I did it. And it could be a million things. Hey, you know, build a spreadsheet and start managing your time the way you do at work at home and start figuring out how you can get more done. I can do that. Hey, consider starting something in the gig economy. Deliver food for DoorDash in the middle of this COVID shit since Uber went to crap. I can do that. Hey, start just shopping for real estate even if you're not going to buy anything and start understanding the real estate market in your area. I can do that. It's always that simple. Every call like this, every email like this, every person I've met in person If I push back and say, what was the first step? And sometimes it has something to do with us, and sometimes it has nothing to do with TSP. Some people are so far in their journey now, I had something that happened 20 years before I started the show. But there was that one point where that person said, I can do that. I can do this thing. I'm going to try. If you have not had that happen yet, please do it. Find something you can do and take that one action. That was a big part of the 13 steps that we just had, that series while I was gone. I think maybe the most important thing, and if you haven't listened to that series of rewinds because you don't do rewinds, oh my God, I think you should. I, I really feel like that last series of 13 rewinds while I was on vacation is some of the most important work I've ever done. Even if you don't listen to the episodes, if you just listen to the new content, which ranges anywhere from like three minutes to 15 minutes per episode of the 13 steps. And In fact, one day I should probably go... Maybe I will. Maybe a rewind one time will be I'll just strip out all of the steps, all of the new content, and piece them together in one episode. That might be cool. Because you really should listen to it. You really should listen to it. If you haven't. But of all the things I said in it, so just to decide for a second before I tell you that thing, when I first discovered Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, like I was in my, my build-up phase. I was not into any of this stuff. Uh, I was still a small government Republican to date how far back that was. That's that's way prior to TSP. My something I could do that I knew I could do was sell. And what I said I can do that was I can learn how to sell better and go get a great paying job. And I was becoming an incredibly successful salesperson, making lots of money. And I was reading and learning everything I could about the sales process, the marketing process, psychology, self-help, self-improvement, you name it. I was in it all. People kept saying, you got to read Stephen Covey's book, Stephen Covey's book, Stephen Covey's book. One day I walked into a bookstore, and I'm just kind of browsing the section. There it is. And I'm like, you know what? When the universe sends you this many signals, you should probably do this. I picked the book up, and I was going to buy it. But I was still, I've always been a fan of the real bookstores that almost don't exist anymore with the big plush chairs. So I usually would get three or four books. I'd sit down and read for a while and pick the ones I wanted to buy. Maybe pay too much for a cup of coffee while I was at it, and... I was going to do that with this book, and I opened it up, and it went to that circle of concern, circle of influence page. It was just a diagram, and it had a couple words on it. I read it, and I went, this is why I needed this book. And I folded this book up, and I put it away. I'm hoping for some of you, I'm hoping for some of you what I'm about to say, if you didn't hear it, or maybe even heard it and just hear it again, 
you'll have that moment right now. The saying is that the journey of any great journey begins with a single step. It does not. It doesn't. It begins with two. When you take a single step, think about what that means. You're standing on an X. You take your right foot, you take a step forward. Boom. Where's your left foot? It's still on the X. The journey has not begun until you take the second step. In this journey that we're talking about, the first step is, I can do that. That mental step, that's the right foot coming off the X. The second step is, now I'm doing it. And as soon as you leave the X, I promise you, the only time you'll ever see it is when you look over your shoulder and remember. You'll never stand on it again. With that, let's take another one. This one on canning. Maybe that's something you can do. Hey, Jack. Jesse here from out here in Utah. Long-time listener, newly found uh, MSB member. Love what you're doing. My question is, I want to start canning. Can uh, you give me any resources or give us any resources that I uh, can help someone new and kind of feeling overwhelmed by all the information out there? Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. So let's try to do canning in three minutes or less, uh, getting started with. First of all, my favorite canner is made by a company called Kerry Shard Nesco, and they seem to have an identity crisis, and they don't know what name they want to put on the damn thing, but it's the same model, and they keep changing the name. And every time they change the name, they change the item listing in freaking Amazon, and even though it's the same thing, my uh, write-up on it no longer links to the actual page where you can actually buy it. I have just changed it again, and I've changed the write-up a little bit, but I haven't wordsmithed at all. But if it says carry, if it says shard, or it says Nesco, pressure canner, not cooker on it, is the electric pressure canner that can do four full-size quarts at one time that I recommend. And no matter how many times they change the name, unless they stop actually making it, it's the same thing. It's been the ESCO NP9, now it's back to being the carry canner, and it's been the shard carry, and it's still the same thing. And I really recommend it. And it makes canning as easy as you get your instructions for whatever you're doing and your recipe for whatever you're doing, and you put the stuff in there and you push a button and a timer and you walk away. It's it's very simple. And I'm not going to go through again why it's safe to use it. it. It is. When I discovered that, I eventually did a show called Electric Canning for the Busy Family. I have a link in the show notes for that today. And that would be the best episode for somebody that wants to get started canning to listen to if they're going to do electric canning. Here's the thing. If you're not going to do electric canning, if you're going to do pressure canning with like an old school all-American pressure canner or whatever you buy at Walmart or Amazon or whatever, it's still a great show because it still all works the same way. Now, the next piece that I do need to give you is there are two types of canning. There's what's known as water bath canning and there's pressure canning. Water bath canning can be done really with a big pot and a loose-fitting lid and some various accessories. And there's plenty of instructionals on how to do it. And anything that is a high-acid thing, so if you're doing something like tomatoes that are high in acid naturally or you're adding vinegar or doing something to up the acid and it's something that the recipe says can be water bath canned, you don't need a pressure canner, you can water bath can it. 
I really recommend if what you're doing can be water bath canned that you do it. And the reason is it will less break down and beat up and overcook the food because whenever you can anything to some degree you're overcooking it uh, than if you pressure can, right? Because it's lower temperature. Uh, so right out of the gate you got that. The other side of it is it takes a lot less energy to do so. Uh, the electric canner does not have a water bath can setting on it, though, so it is only for pressure canning. You can pressure can something that you only have to water bath can. You cannot water bath can something that needs to be pressure canned, like meat and broth and anything that's low acid. So you're always going to want to follow a recipe when you do that. Other than that, I kind of have the same advice with canning that I do with gardening. Just start doing it. Get the basic stuff you need. And just start doing it, and you'll learn as you go. And, you know, your great-grandmother canned stuff on a coal stove. With all the technology we have to do it today with, it only seems complicated. It's really not. It's a very old technology, and it's a skill that everybody should master. In almost three minutes, three minutes, 29 seconds. Let's take another one. Jack, point of interest. Tried to order the generator on Amazon you suggested today? They will not deliver it to California. Apparently, it's a hazardous material device. Yeah, it's a police state here. And Biltong is 64 bucks a pound when you buy it by the ounce in the grocery store locally. You were on to it. Walk to freedom. Okay, man. Thanks again. So, yeah, let's, let's talk about one other problem that California causes. People that don't live in California because they're not smart enough to understand things. Um, it's like Prop 25 or Prop 30-something. I don't know what the hell it is. There's a there's a prop that passed in California that basically says anything in any way that might ever have possibly, maybe, been carcinogenic must be labeled as such, which doesn't seem to be that big a deal until you realize something like, let's say you wanted to buy seaweed to eat. Okay, so you want to buy seaweed like kelp or something like that. And it, it's perfectly fine to eat. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you tested it, you might find some small trace amount of mineral, or it's generally accepted that anything that came out of the ocean might have this thing that California says could be carcinogenic, even if it isn't at the levels that it would be in the thing. You have to put this warning label on it. Now, a lot of companies do what they do with food because of New Jersey. So New Jersey has an equally stupid law that says anything that humans consume must come with an expiration date. And you might be like, Jack, why is that ridiculous? That sounds reasonable. Does your bottled water need an expiration date? Does the 50-million-year-old salt that they dug out of the ground and put in a box and sold to you, 50 million years old, does it need an expiration date? Do you believe that the 50-million-year-old salt that was perfectly safe to eat when they dug it out of the ground will go bad in a year. No, you don't, because you're not that stupid. If you were that stupid, you wouldn't still be listening to this show. You would have turned it off by now, even if today's your first day. So you know that's stupid. So why do companies do it? Because it's easier to have a package that goes to all 50 states than to have a New Jersey package. So even if I'm selling salt, I'll put an expiration date on it to make New Jersey happy. Well, a lot of people do the same thing with this warning label. So you see, you read reviews of the seaweed product, for instance, on Amazon. I can't believe this. This stuff causes cancer. You moron. No, it doesn't. California, just, you see what I'm saying? Like, so California probably says 
that that generator is not carb compliant. That's one of their other rules. So it's emissions, California emissions. The thing is, the generator may be California carb compliant. That doesn't matter unless the label on it specifies it the way California wants it, it can't be sold in California, even if, see how stupid this is. Now let's talk about walking to freedom. That was the end thing there. Um, friends and neighbors, there has never been a time where your ass should be more motivated to get out of certain states and cities than right now. I am getting to the point where I'm going to start using a term that my friend Vin Armani often uses, you were warned. You were warned. Everything that government does that's oppressive is going to get worse in the coming years. COVID has accelerated. That's one of, the, one of the big set of trends that I've been talking about. Growth of government is another trend that COVID will accelerate. That does not mean that if you live in a place like Texas that you will not deal with this problem. That Texas is not in a way its own police state. It just means that wherever you are, when that accelerates, the more there already is, the worse it will become. California would be a place that I would be hauling my ass out of right now. I would be, I would look at California, not for the same reasons, before you think I'm going crazy here. I would look at California as though you were in Germany in 1929, 1930-ish, or maybe even a little later in history. Like, there's nothing preventing you from leaving right now. And if you knew what was coming, you'd leave right now. That's how I feel about California. That's how I feel about New York. That's how I feel about Illinois. That's how I feel about at least eastern Washington and eastern Oregon. Like, if you get on the other side of the Cascades, you're probably going to be okay, maybe. But, you know, Idaho's right there, just saying, okay? Like, get out of these places because their lunacy is going to explode. The other thing I would be looking for, if you have children, I've been a lot on the homeschool thing. I don't want to turn this end of the show into homeschooling. I'm just going to tell you that even if you don't think so, in the next year or two, you're going to want the option to homeschool your children. If you have not been pushed over the edge yet, unless you are a complete sheep, unless you are totally incapable of being able to see what's going on in front of you, unless that's you, within a year or two, if you have children of school age, you're going to want the option to homeschooling. You're going to want it. And you might be like, well, homeschooling is legal in all 50 states. It's not easy. I would make a list of the states with the greatest homeschool freedom, and they would be on the top of my list if I had kids, if I'm going to move to where I would move to. And I would stay away from the oppressive ones, because they're going to become more oppressive. And here's how that dynamic plays out. A state like Texas, with almost complete homeschool freedom, it's very difficult to take a freedom like that away once you've granted it. So it was taken away long ago. It was fought and reclaimed in 1994 with a 9-0 decision by the Texas Supreme Court, by the way. And now it's been in play for 25 years. It's very hard to go back on that. If you already have the control, it's easier to expand it. So what's going to happen is in a state like Texas, the existing state system, as it transforms, will have to be somewhat accommodating of parents to prevent them from all leaving. 
It's easier to be accommodating with the with the state's system than to pull the non-state system back in. The place where it's very hard to operate say, outside of the state system does not have that competition for your kids and their asses and the seats and the dollars that they represent. So they will be the most ridiculous. So even if you're not going to do it, you're not going to want to be in a state where it's really hard to do it because it's going to make the system you are choosing to stay in worse. Get out. Get, you know, People say, when is the time to get out of the stock market? If you don't know what you're doing, you probably should. If you're not sure, you probably should. There's a lot of money to be made right now. There's going to be a point where there isn't, and boom! So you've got to be really careful right now. But when it comes to these states... Get out, 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 get the hell out now! And if you don't, and if you think it's too much, and you want to tell me why you can't do it, you were warned. You were warned. These states, the naughty list of states, when we started the Walking to Freedom Forum, these states, get out now. Get out now. Whatever you get, for, especially if you live in the cities or around them, Whatever you can get for your property now is going to be more than you can get for it in a year or two. I promise you. Get out now. Think very carefully about where you go, but get the F out. It's going to be stupid for the next 10 years. And it's going to be stupid right here where I live too. But you want to minimize stupid. You want the maximum amount of freedom you can have because the noose is tightening. They've made it where it's almost impossible to work in the gig economy in California. Like all the Uber drivers and shit, they've, they've basically, like to protect people, they've made it impossible for them to earn a living. There's a way around that. You form an LLC and you don't work for Uber, your LLC does. And since you're an owner in your LLC or a partner in your LLC, in the case of an LLC, right, all the things about employees don't apply to you anymore. See, as long as you're a, a contractor, the, all the laws apply to you as though you were an employee type thing. But if you own the company, you get to make your own decisions about what you do. Like minimum wage does not apply to you if you're the owner of your own company and you work in your company. You can pay yourself less than minimum wage. You don't have to do anything the government says you have to do for an employee or a contractor if you're a partner or a managing partner or anything like that inside a company. You can do anything you want inside that company. Well, you don't have the contract with Uber. You know, your name LLC does. The problem in California is it's extremely expensive. Now you need a business license and there's a lot more tentacles just wrapping around you. Get out, get out, get out, get out. And more important than the states, as bad as Cal and California is so bad, California and Illinois and New York are so bad, those three get out of the whole state. Okay? Otherwise, as far as the cities, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. Do not live in the big cities or the suburbs anymore. Don't even think about looking at it for another 10 years. Get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. I can't, I, 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 I literally can't be any more clear. All right. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. If you like this show and the work that we do, please consider supporting us through doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. If you do that, you can 
see all the items that I recommend uh, on Amazon, and I own them, I use them, I bought them, I would buy them again, I'll spend my money on them, or I wouldn't recommend them. That is the brand of integrity I have had now about five years of running T-SPAS. And, um, man, I'll tell you, the stuff I recommend, I get for every 2,000 things that are bought from T-SPAS, I get one person that's not happy. And my response to that is, it's Amazon, return it. <laughs> and one out of 2,000 is pretty good, right? Uh, today's item is uh, Monoprice releasable cable ties. These are zip ties. They have a little tab on them. You push it, you can take them back off and put them back on and use them over and over and over and over again. They're also black. They're UV stabilized. That way you can use them outside, and they are not going to never break down and become brittle, but they take a lot longer than a white one. Let's put it that way. I use them for so many things on this uh, little homestead of mine. I would never be without zip ties, and I don't see the point of a zip tie that when you need to re re put it somewhere else or take it off, you need to cut it and throw it away. If you can reuse it, that makes a lot of sense. I've used this for so much. Read the write-up to learn more. Uh, they come in a variety of sizes. Again, they're made by a company called Monoprice. About six bucks for a hundred. And one of the like one of the key things you need in any survival situation, they, it, you, we, under the five C's you call it cordage. But it, I'm back to like you don't want a drill bit, you want a hole. Cordage. It's not that you want a cord, you want a way to bind things together. Man, next to duct tape, this might be the most important thing that a prepper can have is zip ties. So use reusable ones that are really affordable that you can get on Amazon. Do your shopping at T-SPAS so you can help support us because, hey, we told you about them. Anyway, with that, let's go and wrap things up with the song of the day. Song of the day is uh, by one of my favorite song uh, writers and artists. And I think everybody that, that kind of knows me and has been around a while and, and, and sees the music that, that I choose to play knows I kind of really dig the whole singer-songwriter, especially singer-songwriters out of the 70s thing. So Jackson Brown would not surprise you. This is... One of his amazing songs, and it's it's a song that I think is incredibly underrated and largely misunderstood by a lot of people that like it. I think this is a song that, you know, until something like Pandora came along, a lot of people that love Jackson Brown even probably didn't really know this song. Uh, this is kind of song like when you create a Pandora station or an iHeartRadio station or whatever around this type of music, sooner or later it will pop up. And just the opening vocals are so damn amazing, so damn beautiful. You get, this is one of these songs you kind of get captivated into it, and the words don't even matter anymore. It, it's like it's not the same effect, but it's almost like when you hear like an Italian opera song. And if you turn off the stigma and you just listen to it, it doesn't matter that you don't have any idea what the words are. It's just beautiful. Except this time you can hear the words, but it's so beautiful you don't really hear the words. And a lot of people don't know that for a dancer is for a real dancer. He was a gentleman that died in a fire in his home, very, very tragically. He was in a sauna, kind of roasting himself in heat. Another reason to not, I'm not a sauna guy. Is another reason to not like him. Um, but his house caught on fire, and he never really knew it until it was way too late because he was in a sauna. And so Jackson Brown wrote this song for him. He sung it for a lot of people that have died over the years. But this guy was a real dancer, and he did a lot of other things, and he was an amazing artist, And it's, it's about living life to the fullest because you don't really know when it will end. And the beauty of living and appreciating people while they're here. Because someday either you won't be or they won't be. But there's the most important point in this song 
is there's one dance you do alone, and that's dying. That's dying. And it's a really important line to understand because a lot of people think like it's a terrible thing to die alone. I'm going to tell you that everybody, on some level, dies alone. And explain it, I'll explain, explain it from the, the, the vantage point of thinking the best case scenario of not dying alone. The TV, you know, hallmark way to die as peacefully and as loved as possible. The whole family gathers around Grandpa. He's 103. Up until two weeks ago, he was still out bailing hay. It was just his time. And everybody made it home, even Cousin Billy. And everybody's around, and everybody gets to tell Grandpa goodbye. And, every, and Grandpa gets to tell everybody he loves them and that it's okay, that they'll be fine without him. He gets to say everything he always wished he said and never said. Everybody hugs each other. Everybody's there. Everybody's around the bed. There's a relative, a loved one on both sides of Grandpa holding each hand. There's people touching his shoulder, and he quietly goes to sleep. He said Grandpa didn't die alone. Somewhere in that process, somewhere in that process, there's a flash. The last moment of life, and you know it's the last moment of life. And it's the transcendental point where we go on to whatever is next. And depending on what you believe, it's some form of afterlife, some sort of new beginning, or it's nothingness. And it doesn't matter what you believe. There still has to be that one point, that one point, that one place for that one maybe millisecond that we are totally alone. It is just us because we're the only one doing it. And we all will. And in that flash, I'd like to believe that at some point that we reflect on our lives. So I'll tie it back to our quote of the day. Because you will have this moment. Open your eyes. Look within. Are you satisfied with the life that you're living? Keep a fire burning in your eye. Pay attention to the open sky. You never know what will be coming. I don't remember losing track of you You were always dancing in and out of you I must have thought you'd always be around Always keeping things real by playing the clown Now you're nowhere to be found Like a song I can hear playing right in my ear I can't sing, I can't help listening And I can't help feeling stupid standing round Crying is the easier down Cause I know that you'd rather we were dancing Dancing our sorrow 